I want to talk uh, this morning. First of all, let me set the context for those of you who are new or haven't been here for a while. We're spending 10, 20 years, I don't know, on, uh, on the little phrase that Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Which means generally our business is to align earth with heaven. That's because God didn't come just to get us into heaven. He came to get heaven into earth through us. Now, the main organization for that is called the church. Jesus envisioned the church built upon you who proclaim him as Christ. He said, on you I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we're heaven building, hell busting. That's our, that's our job. Now watch. The, the central component of building the church is called a disciple. And so we're a disciple making church. And to that end, we're going through a disciple making process. And we're in a, a, a book right now called Habits, uh, Cultivating the Habits of the Heart. This is the last one uh, in that book. And, and I want to talk to you about work today. Work is such an important part of our life. And when I say work, I don't want you to, to think just in terms of paid outside the home. Work, biblically speaking, is whatever effort you are making in order to make the world a better place. It can be outside the home, inside the home. You can be paid. You can be not paid. You can, it can be um, um, physical. It can be spiritual. You know, prayer is work. It's some, it's some of those powerful effort you can put in. It can, be, it, it can be psychological. Whatever it is, it is part of what God has given us to do. Remember what we just read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that you should walk in them. So we're down here to do his work. Now, let's go to the, um, the scripture for, the, for this morning. And it's in the book of Thessalonians. And I, and I want to I set this up a little bit for you. Paul spent about three weeks in the, in the town of Thessalonica. It's still, it's still there. We've, we've been there. We've been there, Eleanor, you remember? Um, and, and, and back then, it was one of the great prosperous towns of the time. It had, had at one point, 200,000 people in it. It was at a trade route. There were so many craftsmen and, 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 and manufacturers there. Well, Paul goes there and he preaches. And everybody starts to come to faith in Jesus Christ. But Paul said something about Jesus coming again. Jesus is going to come again. And after he leaves, people are so enthusiastic about Jesus Christ and his coming again, they quit their jobs. They quit their jobs because they thought maybe the best thing they could do spiritually was not to do that worldly work. It's to get ready for Jesus. And, and when you quit your job and you have nothing to do, you just start talking. And they were all up in each other's business. They were getting in everybody's business but their own. And so Paul wrote this section of Thessalonians to say, hey, don't separate your spiritual life from your physical activity, your work. 
because both of them are worship. You can't disconnect those two. And so let me just read this brief passage to you. It says in verse 9, now as to the love of the brethren. You see, he puts it in the context of love. He says, this is, your work is how you love people. Love is an, a, a, a noun, it's a verb. And, and so it says, now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge, we, we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. See, emotions aren't enough. Good intentions aren't enough. Only when you put it into action. Excel still more. Watch this. <clears throat> and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Now, let me give you, the, let me give you what that means um, um, in, the, in between the lines. He was saying, I want your ambition to not be too ambitious. I want your ambition not to think you need something you don't have, but to be satisfied and to cultivate what you do have. Because God has given you the life you have. He's given you the relationships you have. And so therefore, I want you to cultivate that. I want you to prize that. I want you to pay attention to that. To which he goes on to say specifically, to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to tend to your own business. You, you ever heard the phrase, mind your own business? It comes from the Bible. Mind your own business. You know why? Because we're all wanting up, up in everybody else's business. So that we don't have to pay attention to our business. Paul says just the opposite. No. You can't, you can't make a huge difference in that. You can make a huge difference in your life. That's the most difference you'll make in their lives. And then he goes on with that. Attend to your own business and work with your hands. Now, now he's getting them back to these crafts, these, these trade jobs that they've left. <clears throat> and he says, just as, we just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Here's, here's the theme of the Bible. All of us need something from time to time, but we don't need what we don't need. In other words, don't need any more than you actually need. We are helpless when it comes to salvation. We're helpless to save ourselves, so we need God for that. But here were people, literally in history, who had abandoned their jobs and expected everybody else to support them. And Paul's going, what? You've got this picture all wrong. Christians are the givers. Christians are the productive ones. Christians are the ones who don't depend when they don't have to on anyone else. Remember Paul himself. He said in, in, in 2 Corinthians 9, he says, you know, look, there's, work, there's Christian workers among you and you ought to support them. You need to, you know, the, the oxen needs to be fed the hay and so on and so forth. And, and so support the Christian workers. But he said, I've made sure you know you never need to support me. I'll work with my hands. It says in Acts chapter 20, verse 34, it says, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. So generally speaking, yeah, 
support people in full-time ministry, but I don't want to send mixed messages. My message is that I'll support my, I don't want to be, I, want you, I don't want to need you any more than I actually need you. <clears throat> now, what's he doing with this? And how does this apply to us? There are two ways you can look at work. Both of them are in the creation um, story. The first one is the one that God always wants us to, to, to view work with, the first perspective. He always wants us to see work. And that is a way of worshiping him and glorifying him and extending his creation. Now watch. In Genesis 2.15, it says this. That, when, that God made the man. The first thing he gave the man when he put him into the garden was a job. It was work. Work is a part of paradise. Work is a positive. It's a part of paradise. It says, then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden. Eden, by the way, means delight. It was a garden of delight. Work needs to be associated with delight. That's what God's saying. To cultivate it, that is bring forth what is not there, to, pro to be productive, and to keep it, protect what is there. Don't pollute, don't, don't, don't let it be polluted, all right? So that was the job of man. And he didn't just give it to an individual, he gave it to us together. Gen Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. I'll talk to you more about that uh, marriage that's coming up and, and, and significant relationships uh, uh, and friendships and church and so on and so forth. I'll talk to you more about that uh, in a while. But I want you to know, work is something he gives us, watch this, as a blessing with each other that we would work together. And it's not just a blessing for us, it's a blessing for everyone else. If you're an employer, if we're doing this right, the first person you ought to want to hire is a Christian. Because we have been told by our God to do our jobs in a way that are industrious, that are a way of a worship, in a, in, a way that, in a way that is a blessing. Now, unfortunately, the creation story doesn't end there. And work takes on another shadow, which, by the way, many people stand in this shadow of work. After they disobey God, they're thrown out of the Garden of Eden. And it says in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, the Lord comes to Adam and this is what he says. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, I want you remember that word toil. Through painful toil, you will eat fruit from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow, and you will eat your food, so on and so forth. Now he's talking about a struggle. Now I want you to see that the perspective has totally changed. Work goes from this thing that gives us life. It gives us love, it gives us worship. It lifts our heads. Toil is a Hebrew word meaning your face is down. And you're into the details now. And you're sweating it out. And everything's going wrong. And it's a struggle. And it's frustrating. And it drains the life out of you. Can I just say, 
that that's the pattern in practically every one of our lives. You start off pretty enthusiastic about work, and as it proceeds, it becomes routine to the point that you're beginning to dread it, it has no passion for you anymore, you're tending to want to avoid it and say, how can I get out of the work I have to do? So it goes from blessing to curse. I don't know how many of you remember your first job, both unpaid and paid. My first job, my father died when I was four years old and my mother turned to me at four years old and she said, now you're the man of the family. Boy, I just blow it up, buddy. And she gave me jobs. Now I didn't get paid for those jobs, but I had a role. I was the man of the family at four years old. I can't remember what my jobs were, but I remember them giving me dignity and stature and a sense of, of being needed. I remember my first pay. Anybody remember their first job where they got paid? Probably all of you do, absolutely. Mine was inglorious. It was, it was the football coach got us, about six of us, uh, road jobs. That is, they, they used not to have these things that laid asphalt, at least not in Shelby. I'm not sure they ever had them in Shelby, but um, the way you repaired roads was there'd be an old guy who sprayed tar and then you'd take gravel out of a truck and you'd throw it on the road. That was my job. Buck an hour. I thought I had arrived in heaven. They were paying me. I was getting paid. Are you kidding me? I loved it. I was part of society. Work had dignity for me. And there, there was a sense in which I could go back to this beginning creation mandate where God designed us for work. He designed us to be productive. It's almost as if, think of this for a minute, this master artist who always and without fail had a masterpiece that he was working on. This ma Think of this. If you're watching sometimes, some of you have seen great artists at work. Think about if one of those had, had, had just stopped right at the end of the painting and you just saw this gorgeous painting. And he turned to you and he handed you a little brush with a little yellow on it. And he said, you know what? I would like for you, you just see here, just give me a few strokes of yellow to add to this sunset. And then after you do this, I want you to sign your name beside mine at the end of this painting, at the corner. It's almost like that. God gives us this dignity, this nobility of work. Says, you are a co-creator with me. But what happens? What happens is that as we go along, the nobility, the life, the enthusiasm, the passion gets sucked out. You know, when I was a, a boy, I used to love scary movies. Loved scary movies. I can't watch scary movies anymore because Becky doesn't do scary. I mean, I, I, I watch scary movies, just get thrilled and then just go right to sleep. She watches a scary movie. Three, 
3 o'clock at night. Tell me again that wasn't real. Tell me again. So we don't watch scary movies. But when, when I was being raised, scary movies were just like, they were really bad movies. I mean, they were just, they were just, I mean, you could just, you look back and you go, how could I have been scared at that, you know? I mean, the first scary mo- movie I ever watched was The Mole People. The, the, these things that came out of the ground, you know, and they grab you and they take you back into their caves, you know. This movie was so bad, so badly done. You could see the zippers in their costumes. Seriously. Go back and watch that. Stuff. You can see the zippers in their costume. Still scared the bejeebers out of me. I mean, I'm just, I just, I just, at night, I was laying in my bed. I'm going, oh, they're going to come. They're going to come. I know they're going to come. But one of the scariest movies I ever saw was The Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. Now, let me tell you why this is so scary. Because the monsters were us. They would come and they would, they would, these, these people would get implanted with something that sucked their personality up. They looked the same. They totally looked the same. Except you could tell they weren't by two factors. First of all, they had a little dot somewhere along their hairline, you know. But the second way that, that the people around them evidently couldn't tell was, but the audience could, was that they totally lost all their passion. They totally lost all their, it was like, you know, a guy would come home from work and, 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 and the wife would be there and, and he'd say, hey, what's for supper? We are having chicken. You must go and wash up right now. And he'd go and you'd go, that's one of them. How could he miss that? That's one of them right there. All of us could tell. He couldn't tell. Do you know why this movie scared me? I, I lived in Shelby House. 75% of Shelby looked like that. You know? It's like... They were just putting in the time, baby. They were, just, they were just clocking in, you know? As I went on, I realized this happens not only at work, you know, where you start off, you're kind of going, oh, I want to do a good job. And pretty soon you're just punching a card, you know? It happens in marriages. You remember when you first got married? Oh my gosh. We're going to have the greatest marriage in all the world. And we're going to make out all the time. Remember that? Yeah. We'll go to the store and just make out in the aisles. That's how it's going to be. We're just going to make out. Then you had children. And life became so hard with so many details that you just started to toil. You know, your focus was down on the list and what I got to do just to survive. And what happened to the passion? Got sucked out. Your turn to take out the garbage. (laughs) It happens with, with everything. It happens with our faith. You know, when we're first saved, we're on fire for Jesus. We just want to tell people, you know, we want to tell people you can get saved, you can get healed, you can, you can just, you can walk in joy, 
You have all of these, you have all these fruits of the Spirit. You have love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. And, and then we start just putting in our time. Just doing the deal. And pretty soon we're more active than we are passionate. This is what's key. What's key is that we understand that we need to awaken again. Many of us in our work and our other activities have bent our heads down. And we become dulled inside. We become the people that, that the light has kind of gone out, you know? There's this passage in Ephesians that I love. And this passage is in Ephesians 5 and it says, all things become visible when they're exposed by the light for everything that comes, becomes visible is light. And what I'm trying to do right now is shed a little light on how we are and what we need. God gave us our daily lives, not just our jobs, no matter whether your job is inside the home or outside the home, you get paid for it, don't get paid for it. Anybody recognize you, doesn't recognize you for what you're doing. God has given you certain opportunities to make this world a better place. And that is your work. That is your work. And so he, but he gave it to us so he could lift our heads up so that we can see him. And it says in Ephesians, you need to understand it says, awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It goes on to say, therefore, be careful how you walk. By the word, the way, the, the, way, the word walk here is how you live. Be careful your lifestyle. Be careful the habits of your heart. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. That word, evil, means narrow. It means you've lost all perspective. It means you've become overwhelmed by the details of your life and you no longer know the joy and the freedom that God's going to provide for you. You don't need to worry about this. You can love while you're doing what you do. As a matter of fact, you were given to do what you are doing so that you would love. You would love him and you would love them because that's what work is for. Work is about way more than work. It says, so then, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I just wanted to bring you this message this morning because most of us count the days of our lives in a way that miscalculates their worth. Most of us, when we think of work, we think in terms of, are we accomplishing what we're supposed to? We think in terms of, am I getting paid what I'm worth? Am I getting recognized for what I'm doing? You know, can I avoid the, the weird people in my, I did, a, I did a whole series on work one time. And, and, and 
and the many challenges of work and how, how all of them, all of them have spiritual implications. All of them. But what we usually calculate is, am I making progress and is my work something that I know I'm making a difference? Could I just say something to you? You will never understand the difference you're making. How many of you get to the end of the day and you look back over the day and say, what in the world did I do? Did I get anything done today? I mean, anything that really counts? And the answer to that is yes. You showed up. And if you treated people well while you did what you were doing, if you understood that God was working in your life beyond your capability, that you're a co-creator of God, then yes. It's not about money. It's not about accomplishment. It's all about relationship. A few years ago, I was driving late at night, probably about the time Vernon was going to work. <laughs> and uh, I was listening to NPR on the radio and they had this interesting piece on about how um, in a state-run church, and they were talking about Germany and Europe and so on and so forth, they said many, many, many uh, churches in Europe are, are state-run. Um, and, and so in those churches, you don't give offerings, you don't give, you know, um, you t they take them out of your taxes. And so, and so, and so, what this was about was about this younger generation of Germans coming up who didn't want to pay church taxes because they were just, they could have used the money and they didn't want them taken out. And I guess they had a, an exemption for those who would renounce their faith. And so there were a number of young German citizens who in order not to have to pay the taxes were renouncing their faith. Now watch this. This one who is presenting the piece, this is on NPR. This was the end of the piece. But in doing so, they may face another kind of audit. The mercies of which will be debated long after the taxes have been paid. That's on NPR. Could I just talk to you about a different kind of audit? How does God value what you do? Is what you do, no matter what it is, an opportunity to invite God into your life, to ask God for, for his help, to have his spirit come through and bless others? Remember Psalm 24, 7, I love this. Psalm 24, 7 says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. <laughs> I love that. When we're doing what we're supposed to do, whether we enjoy it or not, are we saying, God, help me with this? Because I want you to come in. Help this not be about what I produce, about the product. Help this be about how I love. I, I heard a story some time ago about this young 
single mom who really didn't have any money. She had this little daughter she loved, and so she promised this daughter one time that she was going to buy her doll. And the daughter just kept after her and kept after her, and so she knew she had to, but she didn't, didn't have much money. So they went to the store, and they went down the doll aisle. And, and, and the little girl picked up a box. She was too young to read. And she said, oh, mommy, look at this doll. What does this doll do? And the mother looked at the box, saw the price, knew they couldn't swing it. But she wanted to answer the little girl, and so she read the box. She says, well, honey, this, this doll walks. The doll walks. But I don't think that's a doll we want. The little girl says, oh, oh okay. Put it back. Picked up the next doll. She said, look at this, look at this doll, mommy. What does this doll do? Mother looked at the box, saw the price, read the box. She said, well, that doll, that doll talks, but I'm not sure that's the doll we want. She said, no, she said, no. So she put it back, came to the third doll. She said, oh, mommy, I like this one. What does this doll do? Mother again saw the price and she said, honey, that's, that doll wets. That's really not the one we want. She said, oh, okay. They finally came to this little bin of little cloth rag dolls. Remember those? Little cloth rag dolls. And the mother said, oh, honey, that's the doll we want. And the little girl picked up that doll and just was immediately attracted. But she turned to her mom again. She said, well, what does it do? And the mother said, that doll listens. You know, I, I don't think God's too impressed that we can walk and talk and wet. But I think... He's delighted when we listen. I think what we do, whatever we're doing, it's, a, it's, a, it's an opportunity to listen to him and to others. Because work is about relationship. It's about love. It's about how we do love. And then lastly, work is about doing what we're doing with passion, no matter what your work is, with all your heart. It says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. The world needs people who have come alive. They don't just need people who can screw on widgets. They don't even need people who can invent the next great thing. The world needs people who are passionate about what they do, who don't see their jobs just as a matter of how much do I get accomplished? We're gonna hear a song in just a minute about the references bowling. Do you know before there were mechanical bowling pin machines, do you know how bowling pins got stood back up? You remember, they hired a little boy, 
I just talked with Edith. Edith remembers this. Edith is like 90 years old. And, and Edith remembers this. They'd hire a little boy, and the boys would straddle on a platform, the alley. And when that ball came down, after two tries, they'd set all the pins back up by hand, uh, by hand to have them what? Knock down again. How many of us are living our life like that and think that what we do doesn't matter? It does. Think that what we do doesn't have dignity? It does. It counts. So that's why God says, I want you to do it with all you got. Because only then will it be a blessing. Let me close with this story. Gandhi. One day in India, he was boarding a train. And there's a gap... If you go to England and you get on the subway, the tube, they'll say, mind the gap. You'll hear that recording, mind the gap. There's always a gap between the train and platform, and there was in this case. And one of his shoes slipped off and went down that crack, and he could see it, but he couldn't get to it. And the train was leaving, so immediately he took the other shoe off and threw it down. And the people around him said, why did you do that? And he said, if a poor man finds one shoe, it does him no good. But if he finds two, it's a great blessing. Don't go at your job just with half a heart. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this reminder, this great admonition that what you give us to do, whatever it is, is important. And that we can do what we do with what we have, where we are with great dignity, but also great love. Give us the joy of understanding what we do means way more than what we think. It's way more important than we have a habit of appraising. And so come to us, Lord and work through us to love others and to build up your creation through us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.